0: From the EPR Creation Studio, this is Jason Staples, bringing you the Unconquered Podcast. As always, this podcast brought to you by EPR Creations, bringing you the best of internet marketing and website development for an affordable price. By Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida. By Shen, Shenandoah Newsma of ShenRealEstate.com. And by Garage Makeovers, the number one garage remodeling company in South Florida. This is going to be a short one, guys. Uh, This is the preview episode, of course, for the Louisiana game. And to be totally honest, there's not a ton to preview here. And that's that's a really good thing. (laughs) Because it wasn't very long ago that Florida State was getting beaten by an FCS program. By Jacksonville State. And those guys are not as good as this Louisiana team, I don't think. But I don't think this Louisiana team has a tremendous shot to beat this Florida State team. So I'm just going to go through a few things here to uh, address sort of what they do or, you know, what what needs to be looked at. Number one, they got one wide receiver, Michael Jefferson. He's got twice as many catches as everybody else on the roster. He's the one guy that can kind of move, uh, runs well. He's actually pretty big. He's got a chance to play the next level and he's 6'4". Uh, essentially, he's a guy that you're going to want to keep a safety over top of more more frequently and just take him away and 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 I got to say can Florida State continue their record against number 1 receivers this year? I mean they have absolutely put the clamps on the number 1 receiver for every team they've played this year. And this this sort of shapes up as a similar kind of thing. Even at that only 39 catches on the year. So it's not like he's had, you know, a massive season statistically. But again, that's that's twice as many catches. The, the next highest on the roster is 20 catches. Now, to put that in perspective, Florida State has Johnny Wilson with 33, Ontario Wilson with 23, Micah Pittman with 28, Toa Feely with 22, Cam McDonald with 18. Louisiana has one with 39, one with 20, and then... You know a few guys in the high teens, but basically not a ton of uh, of production there in their in their passing game. They've not been uh, a top level passing team. They've been pretty productive. I mean, you're looking at you know an overall 15 to five touchdown to int ratio, but there's very few big plays, and the completion percentage is in the mid 50s. So this is not a team that you really worry about as a as a passing threat. They're going to have to run to beat Florida State. And the bad news from the Louisiana side is that they, against their schedule, which the best team that they've played, it's probably Southern Miss. You know, Louisiana Monroe is up there as well. Or Monroe, I think they say where they are. Uh, they averaged 2.38 yards per carry against Southern Miss and 2.26 yards per carry against Louisiana Monroe. <sighs> yeah, that's, you know, 4.07 yards per carry against Rice. Ultimately, this is another game where I think Florida State's defense just chokes them out. This is this is a game where it's it's not impossible. I mean, I don't think it's necessarily likely because I think they're going to play a lot of players in this game. But it's not impossible that Florida State's, I think it's a nine-quarter streak right now where they, they've not given up uh, a touchdown. It's entirely possible that that could be 13 at the end of this game. Now, like I said, I don't think that's likely. I think Florida State's going to play a lot of players on defense. I think the primary goal for you as Florida State has to be a has to be to get out of this game with a win first and foremost, but second of all, fresh and with as few injuries as possible. So this is one where if you can double tap them in the first quarter and be up 21 after one quarter, and you know, Finish it out with some, you know, just run the football, run the clock in the in the uh, in the second quarter. Get out of there with, you know, 28 point lead at the half and then start liberally substituting and get your full offense and your valuable players off the field on defense. In the third quarter, you do that here, especially with Florida on deck. I think that's what you do. Offensively, offensively, it's going to be interesting because I think the strength of their defense is is stopping the run. And you look at what they've done on the year. 3.58 3.58 yards per carry given up. Now, they're not going against a bunch of world beaters in terms of running game, but you look at the you look at what they've done at Rice, 3.32 yards per carry given up. Louisiana Monroe, 5.82 yards per carry given up. That's the one that they they gave up the most. But South Alabama, 3.14, at Marshall, 3.16, Arkansas State, 3.9, at Southern Miss, 3.13. Troy 4.14, Georgia Southern 2.88. So they they've been pretty stingy when it comes to to the running game on the season. Again, they've not faced a, a a rush attack anywhere close to what Florida State is, but if they if they really have a strength in terms of defensively, that's in my view what it is. Throwing the football Again, pretty decent on defense, but I think some of that is a function of the quarterbacks that they played against. They gave up 358 yards, two scores and no touchdowns against Georgia Southern, for example. So they can be had <laughs> in the passing game, but overall, they've been pretty good on, you know, and they've got 14 interceptions on the year. So they've been very, uh, uh, they've been very opportunistic in that. So you got to take care of the football, make sure you don't put yourself in a bad spot. But I do think that there's going to be plays to be had there. uh, And, you know, you've got the ability to throw it as you want. And this is one where if I'm Mike Norvell, I'm treating this very much as a uh, an opportunity to really get my offense polished up on some core things that I want ready for the Florida game the next week. You want to run your base stuff and you want to make sure that they're running it really, really well. And it's the focus all week is on crisp execution. And the focus during the game is crisp execution and just do your job and do it really well and uh, and, and then get off the field, essentially. Uh, pretty straightforward. I, I think looking at the overall productivity of this team, they're not bad. I mean, it's a, it's a decent team. They're five and five. They very easily could be better than that. I mean, they've played in a number of one possession games and have come out on the short end of the stick. Uh, they've also got a couple you know, close, a little bit closer wins, but their wins have generally been by double digits, uh, you know, 36-17, 38-18, 23-13, and their losses have been, by and large, single digits, 21-17, 20-17, 23-17. There are a lot of games that they play kind of in that score range. I think this is going to be one where it'll be a little higher score for Florida State again they they they've not played against an offense that's, uh, that, that looks like what FSU's done this year. So on the year you look at their uh their offense has been uh has been getting 5.31 yards per play. Their defense has been giving up 5.11 yards per play. I think Florida State could very easily average 8 plus yards per play in this game with decent execution on offense. Again, I'm not sure that you're gonna end up with that after this because I think you're gonna see backups for the entire fourth quarter if the if this goes well. So even if they are you know really clicking early, this is one of those games where the backups come in. And man, is this a different thing to talk about a Florida State team like this uh compared to what things were last year or even early in this season when you know you you're not quite as sure that they've turned that corner at this point. I'm pretty confident that this team's gonna basically double tap early. I expect to see somewhere in excess of seven and a half yards per play on offense, and then defensively, I think we're going to see you know somewhere they average again, like I said, five point three one yards per play. I think we're going to see them below four. That you know tunes up to somewhere around let's say forty four to uh, forty four to ten, you know forty four to thirteen, something like that is around the range that I would expect, but it could be worse depending on. Uh, how things go could be closer with a couple turnovers but i think by and large at this point florida state is just going to outclass this team and uh you know they've lost a lot in terms of graduation from last year and they lost a lot to the transfer portal after uh, after Napier left so you know it's a, it's not a bad team it's not a bad group of 5 team but it's also not the kind of group of 5 team it's not app state not one of those teams that can really uh that you, you expect to really come in and scare the heck out of you Uh, you have to take them seriously. You have to crisply execute. You have to take care of business. I think this Florida state team is locked and loaded and in pretty good, uh, pretty good shape. So, um, so yeah, that, uh, that'll work out well there. I'm actually going to wrap this show with, uh, some question and answer because there are a few things that came in that are worth talking about before we, uh, before we move on, uh, first and foremost, uh, I uh, I thought this is a great question. In the era in the new era of college football, which will cost more to land, elite transfer portal players or elite high school recruits? That's a really good question. My answer on that is very simple. It's it's clearly the elite transfer portal players. Now, quarterbacks are always going to get paid more than everybody else, but in terms of once you adjust for, you know, position comparing position to position, guys who have got proven production at another school in college those guys are going to command the most per year at their at their position now transfers aren't going to be around as long so in the you know if you've got a guy whose NIL is multi-year you know that sort of thing those guys might make more in the life of their time at the school but elite transfer portal players guys who've actually proven that they can play at the power 5 level at some other place and then want to go somewhere else those guys are going to command the most per year at their position by a lot. Because the more you have proven at the level that you're playing, the less guesswork there is. Like, if you've had success at the Power 5 level, you've already proven you can do that, then half of the projection of evaluation in terms of recruiting for high school guys that that's no longer necessary. You got a guy that you know can play. That you don't have to project. You just have to project into your own system. So those guys are gonna be super valuable and they're gonna make a lot of money. And you're gonna see, I think, something closer to, you know, true free agency at a certain point at the uh at the college level with guys like, you know, pit wide receiver Addison uh, Jordan Addison last year. He, I, I'm not, I don't know how much he got from USC, but it was a lot. I, the word was, it was, you know, well into the seven figures because he was a really good receiver at, uh, at Pitt and got an offer to come out to LA and get a lot more money and more exposure and play with a better quarterback and all that. And that's really hard, not to, uh, hard to turn down. I know Josh Downs, the, the slot receiver at, at uh, at North Carolina received some huge offers. From, from teams that were tampering and trying to get him to transfer away from North Carolina in the offseason. So, and I imagine Drake may, <laughs> between this year and next year, if he want if somebody, you know, he's going to have some absurd offers on the table from different programs that I don't think he'll take. I mean, I don't think he'll have any interest in it, but now, given that, given his, uh, his, he's a legacy at North Carolina and so on, but, you know, that stuff's going to be there. It's, uh, it's wild. Anyhow, um, the, uh, so to me that that's where that's going to going to going to go and i think actually there's going to be some degree to which the nil stuff over time is going to start to even out in certain ways like the nfl did right now nil is is really focused on acquiring young uh, basically freshman talent guys out of high school it's about that kind of acquisition i think over time nil is going to start to even out, like I said, like in the NFL, where in the NFL, there were, there, there were a couple decades where rookies made a lot more, you know, ro- high draft choices made a lot more than veterans on their own teams. And eventually that got renegotiated in the collective bargaining to say, no, look, we're going to put the rookies on a slot. We're, we're going to put them on a uh, slot scale so that they don't hold out and just make a ton more money than guys who've actually done it. And the veterans are going to make more money. So, you know, the guys who've actually proven that they play that they can play at this level and have actually done it, those guys are going to get more. Same thing happened in the NBA. I think you're going to see more imbalance than that at the college level. But I think you're going to see money start to filter more and more to guys who are proven guys. And one thing that that I think is a really useful use, a really uh, helpful use of NIL uh, funds is keeping guys who, you know, they're, they're NFL potential NFL players but probably not a first or, or or second round draft choice. You make those guys a strong offer to stay in school one more year and you pay for their insurance. And that becomes a a, a viable thing. It's so I think one of the most productive uses of NIL money for, uh, for programs is going to be actually paying guys to stay in school once they've actually proven that they're good players, but not, not like NFL first or second round money players. You're not going to match that money and, you know, getting to the second contract matters quite a bit, but, you know, you look at, at a guy like Jordan Travis, for example, who's, you know, not likely to go relatively high, not not likely to go uh, high in the NFL draft, and you pay him more than league minimum. Yeah, there's no reason for him not to come back. You know, that's the sort of thing that, that you know, I think the NIL stuff really, that, that becomes a, a useful, uh, that becomes a very helpful use of that, of that uh, system. Next question. So I believe you've said on the pod before that the wide receiver, that wide receiver, is the hardest position to see PT in college as a freshman. Do you see Hakeem Williams or uh, or VJ getting any time next year? So I haven't said it's the hardest position. The hardest position is is quarterback, I think. Uh, and then after that, probably center. And then after that, uh, you know, some of the guys close to the ball. You know, having an elite defensive tackle who's ready to play a ton. Is there, you know, so those guys tend to be really high, but I think wide receiver tends to be a tough place to play and make a bunch of contributions. Uh, you do get some guys that do it every year though. And there are a few things that, that are characteristics of those guys. Nine times out of 10, those guys are early enrollees. They are physical freaks in one way, way, shape or form. And they are really, really smart. So, you know, I've talked to, uh, I remember talking to Jeff Scott uh, at Clemson, about Sammy Watkins and he said Sammy was just so smart that he came in and he had their basically their whole offense down in two weeks and so they could play him right away and he could dominate right away because he was so smart that it didn't take him any time to learn what they did whereas that was the exception they haven't had other receivers who who came in and did that just Sammy was the exception so first of all VJ's not an early enrollee, or at least last I saw was not planning to be an early enrollee. So you can basically count that as, you know, he's he's he'll probably get some reps, but, you know, basically think of that as almost a red shirt for next year. Hakeem Williams is an early enrollee. He is also a freak athlete. I mean, you're looking at a guy who coming out of high school physically is maybe not quite where Julio Jones was coming out, but He's not not all that far physically from like what Julio Jones was coming out just that kind of rare, big athlete at that position. And he seems to be a really smart guy, too. So the, the question of how fast, how, how quickly he can learn on some of that is, is really the, the, the thing that's going to matter. But with him being an early enrollee, he's going to have a spring and summer to really learn and to get acclimated to college too. that part matters. And to adjust to the the training schedule and everything else, I think Hakeem Williams is going to get reps day one, not just not just year one, day one. I think he'll be in the rotation because he brings some things physically, athletically to the table that nobody else on that roster has. So it's just it's not going to take very long for him to get in the in, into the into the rotation. Do I think he's going to start? That's a different thing. I, I, I don't. I wouldn't expect him to start. I wouldn't expect him to be like one of the top three receivers in, in terms of production. You know, maybe top four receivers in production on the year, because I think you know it depends on if Johnny Wilson comes back. But you know, you look at Wilson comes back. You've got you know Winston Wright coming back. Uh, you know, Micah Pittman's going to be back most likely. Uh, you know, you're looking at a a, a large amount of production returning. And, you know, I think Winston Wright's probably going to start. Johnny Wilson's going to start. You got some other guys that are going to be out there that are going to get reps. But I think Hakeem Williams is going to have a role year one. Because, And you know, again, I don't think starter or, you know, quite starter level reps, but he's going to play a lot. And he's going to make some plays because they haven't, they haven't landed one like him in a long time. And again, being an early enrollee matters so much at that position because there's a lot to learn even just in terms of formations and where you have to line up and the variation on that, there's, there's a lot there. So yeah, I think that, that's, that's basically where I I think that's going to, that's going to stack up. So we'll go ahead and wrap there as always. Thanks to my sponsors. Thanks to you, Patreon supporters. If you've been enjoying this podcast, leave a five-star review, wherever you, uh, wherever you prefer, but especially over at Apple uh, podcasts where it helps others discover, tell a friend, you tell a friend about the podcast. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. The Unconquered Podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, ShenRealEstate.com in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Garage Makeovers of Palm Beach in Broward County, and the Unconquered Podcast shop at UnconqueredPodcast.com, which features stickers, magnets, and other seminal gear. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. I'm especially grateful to those above the dynasty level. That is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Jonathan Kennedy, Lee Caswell, Travis Smith, Tyler Kashishki, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Post us on social media and tell a friend. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this.